our friend Ron Baker has something that he says a lot. You can be efficient with things, but you must be effective with people. And I think that when we go on a rampage of technology, of upgrading, of finding the next shiny object that's going to, quote, solve the problem, we forget that the apps and the technology is there for the people, not the other way. If you'd like to earn CPE credit for listening to this episode, visit earmarkcpe.com. Download the app, take a short quiz, and get your CPE certificate. Continuing education has never been so easy. And now, on to the episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Build a Focus Firm with Hector Garcia. I am Blake Oliver, your moderator for today's episode. This is the third installment in an eight-part series all about how to build an accounting or bookkeeping firm that gives you joy by focusing on what matters. Thank you to our sponsor, Avalara, for their financial support to make this series possible. Avalara's award-winning tax automation solutions help accounting practitioners of all sizes, from sole proprietors to top 100 firms. Avalara simplifies sales tax compliance with real-time rates, automated returns, filing, registrations, tax research, and automated tax solutions for specialized tax areas. They live and breathe tax, so you don't have to. Learn more at avalara.com accountants. Thanks everyone who has joined us as we record live. Please feel free to chat with us. You'll need to subscribe to the Earmark channel to do that. Let us know your thoughts. Let us know your questions. We want to hear from you. With that out of the way, let's get to our topic today, technology. Today, we're going to learn how to leverage cloud systems to manage work and free up time. Hector, how are you doing this Friday? Very good, Blake. Very, very excited about episode three on technology. So as Blake mentioned, we have an eight-part series. We are currently dealing with part three, all about technology. We're going to spend an hour talking about technology. Blake and I were in the prep of this episode. We were like, it's an hour enough. You know, how much can we talk about technology? Well, you know, uh, Blake pretty much has a, a weekly podcast to talk about technology for our industry. So what I'll try to do is give you a summary of sort of everything you need to know in order to start creating a roadmap around planning technology for your firm. So let's jump right to it. We're going to do three parts. We're going to do hardware and platforms. So it's going to be sort of the first third of the episode. Then we're going to talk about accounting software and ERP systems. Or ERP systems, you can say and or or, because sometimes accounting softwares are ERPs or are becoming ERPs or, or people confuse them as ERPs. So we'll, we'll separate the difference between definition-wise accounting software and ERPs and some of the apps that connect. And then... The third lesson is technology and people, because sometimes if we forget that technology is for people, people are not for the technology, and we lose sight that all this technology planning could break the strategic intent of our people planning. Okay, so we're gonna that's sort of we're gonna end it with that third lesson, and of course we'll have Q and A at the end or even throughout the 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 live session. Um, you know, once you what you listen to this. In the recording, um, you know, you will you have the benefit of whoever attended live and asked questions. So anybody asks questions, Blake will be monitoring that and I'll be answering that stuff live. So let's go to part one 
uh, hardware and platforms. So there are essentially two subsections to hardware and platforms. So the first section, we're going to talk about essentially a local server, which is a traditional way that firms housed information uh, central to the firm. Then we're going to talk about hosted solution, which is a local server, but under somebody else's control. And then a web-based platform, which is where you don't need hardware. Um, and you're sort of working from somebody's, somebody else's hardware that's all serving it in your browser. Okay, so we'll, we'll talk about those three and what role they have. Sometimes you can use all three. Sometimes one of the three. We'll get there. And then the second subsection to hardware and platforms is workstation and peripheral. So I'm going to quickly do a couple of blurbs around what you got to be thinking about beyond servers, you know, scanners, printers, that sort of thing. So we'll discuss that briefly. Okay. So let's talk about local server, server versus hosted solution versus a web-based application. So let's start defining these. So a local server is when you have a physical computer that's owned and controlled by the firm. It's typically within a premise. Now there's situations where you own the server and you're uh, leasing space in a, in a server room somewhere else that is secure and you're using their bandwidth, but you still control it. But that's not that common. That, that's, that used to be called collocation, but that, that, was, that has been replaced by, by virtual computing uh, virtual computing, cloud platforms, and that sort of thing, which we'll talk about. But the local server is still very much a thing used in firms. I have a local server myself uh, that I control and I use, and I explain the decisions I make uh, that I made around using the server and not, okay? And um, this local server could be hosting data or could be hosting applications, or it could be hosting both. So we'll get into that. Next option is a hosted solution. This is basically a local server that's local to someone else, and they're leasing you access to those resources. Sometimes it could be a physical computer that they're leasing you know, access to you for a flat fee of sorts. Sometimes it's full ma fully managed. Sometimes it's self-managed. We'll get there too. Um, but typically, this is a monthly fee per user where you basically get access to both applications and data, okay? And we'll, we'll give you some examples of that as well. And the last one that's really not relevant to servers, but it's essentially what's replacing the essence of having to need a server, it's a web-based platform. Now, I'm not talking about apps, I'm talking about platforms. And, and by that, I mean, it's, it really is, it's an application, but it's, it's, a, it's a platform because it is there for you to sort of make it your own. Okay, and sometimes we refer to these as third-party apps, but a, a platform is a little bit different than an app. So, for the purposes of this episode, when we talk about app, it's typically an extension or an addition to a platform, and then we talk about platform, it's sort of the main thing where all the data, the source of truth, is being stored. So we'll we'll dig into that deeper because it's important for you to know those definitions. So when you're shopping around for solutions, you can ask, hey, is this a hosted solution? Is this a local, local server? Is this desktop software? Is this a platform? So th these are important concepts to know when you're out there procuring or comparing um, different solutions. Okay, so let's dive deeper into local server. Local servers can either be a file server 
This is typically a central place just where data or files, okay? All the actual applications run in the workstations. So one of the typical things I see is you have a tax practice that has a multi-user tax software. The tax software is installed in every one of the tax preparer's computer, but the tax database, the actual client's tax database, and maybe all the W-2s, all the attached documents, uh, work papers, all the stuff that you get from your client, it's in a central location. That way, any of the preparers can pick it up and can look at it without having to go physically into the original computer used to prepare it. And, and in some cases, especially if, if it's a local server, you control what user has access to which folders or which clients or which data sets, that sort of thing. Now, one of the most common things that are used, probably even more common than the file server, is the application server. So an application server is used to run the actual applications on the servers. And the desktops themselves, the workstations where people work in, they're just seen as terminals, okay? And in this multi-user environment, if you have a desktop-based application, so if you have attack software that's desktop based, ultra tax, whatever it is, that's not on a web browser. You typically don't want to install tax software in every single workstation, especially with a multi-user environment, because you could have one user on one version and one user that updated to the latest version. And you can create conflicts when user A opens the same file that user B is tries to open. So one way to avoid that is to have all your applications in a server. This could be local or this could be hosted, by the way, but we're talking about it in the context of local. So when the workstations, whether they're physically on-premise or remote, they actually log in to the server with, with something called terminal services or remote desktop, and they run the, the, the apps in the server and all of the computing power, it's in the server. What's really nice about this is if you need to update the software, you update it once, once. And everybody that logs in, it's on the latest version. So that's the major difference between just a file server and an application server. Okay, so let's talk about some pros and cons. So pros on local servers is you have total control, faster routine service issues. So you have to restart the server or download a Windows update. That stuff is pretty easy to do. But if you have IT staff, because <laughs> you know most accountants are not IT people. So that's a pro if you have IT staff, right? So the larger the firm, the more likely that they can manage internal uh, local servers. You can do most of the work even when the internet is down. This is a huge plus for firms that have had experiences where April 13th, internet goes down and it's complete chaos. So at least if you're within the local area network, if you're in the office per se, even in today's remote work environment, some people still go to an office. So if you go to an office and there's a local server there, you could probably continue to work. And so that's a huge plus too. Um, you can also add new apps and experiment with ease. And I'm going to say experiment lightly because Usually you don't want to experiment with a server that you used to run your entire business, but it happens where, you know, there's an opportunity to add some sort of cloud-based app 
to a desktop-based application to um, speed up some sort of process, right? You know, like, let's say that you're, I'm going to pick an UltraTax, UltraTax desktop-based uh, tax software. Let's say that there was an app that talked to UltraTax and allowed customers to log in through some magic portal, post the W-2, and that stuff comes straight into the desktop software and adds the W-2 and updates the tax return. So think of any desktop platform that you have where there's an opportunity to add a cloud-based app. And if you're hosting this, you have to go through all these control uh, uh, processes, control measures for the hosting company to even allow a new app into their world, right? Because th these are shared resources and, and typically a, a virus or some problem with one of the computers can bring down a, a whole cluster of users. So if you want to add apps, experiment with apps, experiment with apps, your own local server, it's, it's better. Some of the cons is, well, there's a bigger upfront investment. Servers typically are going are gonna to be five to $10,000 at the very minimum for them to be decent servers for a five to 10 person firm at the minimum. So it's a higher upfront investment and there's bigger IT cost overhead. So you either need a full-time IT person or sort of a highly paid contracted IT person that could jump on your server somehow remotely or physically um, and work on it when something needs to be done. It does get more complex for setting up remote access. So when you have your own server in your premise that you own and control, and you want people from the outside to come in, you have to open security-wise, you have to open ports for people to come in uh, from the outside. So obviously, this creates higher risk of vulnerability, okay? And for the most part, there's very low flexibility for upgrading and downgrading. So if you have your own server and you have to upgrade it, you're going to have to go buy a hard drive, get it shipped, open the server, shut down the server, install the hard drive, that sort of thing. Whereas with hosting solutions, it's much different. They usually have these multi-million dollar server systems, and they literally just give you a you know, one-tenth of 1% 1 of, of the power. And then if you say, you know what, I want two-tenths of 1% of the power of that multi-million dollar system, usually within a click and a minute of internal reboot, you're up and running with double the capacity. So those are the things you really want to think about, pros and cons on local server. And typically, there's less redundancy. So if you have your own local server and it goes down, you need to have a second <laughs> local server for it to sort of kick in when the first one goes down, or you need a server to be sort of much bigger capacity for it to also have a redundant hard drive, a redundant operating system, a redundant mechanism, all within the same physical hardware. And if you get a power surge or whatever, and the, and the power supply of that one computer that had redundancy, quote unquote, built in, it's not really redundant because the whole machine is down, okay? So yeah, so redundancy is a big issue. Even if you have backups, you know, you still got to get the server back up and download the backup to be back up and running operationally. So that, you know, we dealt with local servers for a very long time. Um, server for 13 years for my tax uh, application. I'm an IT person myself. Or I come from IT background. So I build my own server. I maintained it. So I'm a different monster per se compared to other accountants. But on April 10th, <laughs> both my hard drives, my regular one and my backup RAID 
got fried somehow. And I was down and I had a backup, okay? But I had to call my IT, my IT guy. You know, even though I'm an IT guy, I have, IT guys are much smarter than me. And I said, dude, I got to get up and running. I do have a backup. What can I do? He's like, I'm going to spool up a server for you. Within two hours, I had a virtual server, a hosted solution, fully managed. And then I just had to give him access to my um, backup solution. He went there. He downloaded all the files. We did have to install my tax software, my QuickBooks and all that stuff in the server to be up and running. And that took maybe another three to four hours to download. So yeah, it took a whole day, but at least I was up and running two days before deadline. But like, you know, it's funny, we, we, we say it anecdotally, you know, that, you know, what, what if this happens on April 13th and it literally happened to me? So I made the decision um, partly because I was cheap. I, I wanted to spend, I spent three grand on my server four years ago. I spent another $2,000 halfway through to put more memory, additional hard drives, and it lasted me a good 13 years. The same server, by the way. It's pretty amazing um, how good that server was. Yeah, 13 um, years is a really long time for, uh, yeah, for anything it, it, in tech. It, <laughs> That's amazing. I, I, my IT guy, I, I was so mad. He's like, dude, should not be mad. You pulled off something no one can pull <laughs> off. You had the same server. Granted, you know, we had more memory. We had more yeah. uh, hard drive controllers. We had more hard drives, a bigger power supply. I mean, all these things happened through the process. But I didn't spend more than five grand in hardware over the last 14 years on it, and maybe, uh, or 13 years, and maybe I, I paid my IT guy two to three grand over the years to maintain it. So it helped that I was an IT person and I did most of the routine stuff, but never again, I'm gonna have a sort of non-redundant, I had a backup, but I didn't have redundancy. And these two things are very, very different. Redundancy, not the same thing as backup. Backup is great, redundancy is obviously much better especially for those situations. So a hosted solution. So this is what I evolved to. Typically hosted will um, run both applications and file server because hosting implies that it's controlled by a third party that is not on premises. Hosted is almost always within the context of a remote desktop, terminal services, or a VPN. So because you're never going to be locally connected to a hosted solution. In some cases, with a VPN, which is a more expensive solution, more bandwidth requiring solution, you can have a hosted server that opens a VPN so the users feel that they're in a local environment. And the difference between a hosted solution and a VPN, and sometimes VPN is a sort of subsection, I mean, a subpart of the hosted solution is with a hosted solution, you're remoted into the server and there's your computer window, and there's also the remote desktop window. And just like dealing with the interface of remembering that some of the files are in your computer and not in the server, and you have to actually transfer it to the server. So there's not that much interaction between your, your files and the server files. With a VPN, it's different. A, a well-put-together VPN will have you connect to a hosted server, which is a centralized app and central or centralized apps, centralized documents, but it will feel like you're working locally and you're interacting more with your computer and your files. So those two are kind of important dis uh, distinctions to make. On the pros for hosting, as I mentioned, it is a lower IT upfront cost. And I think for the most part, it's monthly, um, monthly hosting, the actual monthly hosting cost. 
annualized are typically lower than a full-time staff. I mean, I would say, otherwise, it would not be a value proposition. Hosted solutions typically have high security, high security, high redundancy, and automated backups. That's very sort of um, basic with a hosted solution. And as I mentioned earlier, downgrades and upgrades are flexible. Some of the cons is you can't access it if the internet goes down. It's a big no-no for some people. Low flexibility when it comes to adding apps, like I said, experimenting with new apps or doing special updates. It takes them longer to get to you or to do an update that, that requires every single customer to be rebooted, per se. And you don't control anything. So you're 100% at the mercy of the service provider. Do you have a, a sense as to what the breakdown is of firms these days? How many are using a local server? How many are using hosted? Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't have a census, but I can tell you just from sheer obligation from the, from the firms that hire me to do training. And what I observed is almost always when their tax solution is desktop-based, they have a local server. It's... It is so common. Almost always, when they do non-collaborative, non-collaborative QuickBooks desktop write-ups, non-collaborative means that one user checks out the app. I mean, one user checks out the desktop database, works on it, finishes, and they're done. So there's no multi-user. There's no client collaboration. That almost always leads to a local server. I've seen some instances where the opposite is true, where um, the actual tax software company offers the hosting solution. So accountants feel that they're getting a single provider, although it almost never is, right? Where they have one provider for hosting and one provider that actually sells them the desktop app. So when that, that is the situation, I see more collaboration with QuickBooks Desktop, where maybe they'll host the client file and they give um, remote users access. So you can have more than one person working on QuickBooks or maybe the client collaborating on QuickBooks desktop as well. Same, same thing with like a Sage 50, Sage 100, another type of desktop solution. Obviously, quick, with QuickBooks Online and Zero, this is all moot, okay? Got it. So that's what I know uh, for the most part. But I, I do see most old school firms with a local server and with their trusty IT person to, to maintain it. Okay, so I'm going to uh, mention some that way if you want to start Googling some of these things and learning more about them. So the hosted solutions, I'm going to really break them into two categories. There's self-managed and there's full managed and there's uh, stuff in between. So self-managed means that you know how to manage servers. You just don't want to deal with the hardware. Okay. So you have an IT staff, you're an IT person. The three biggest in the game are no surprise, Microsoft, Microsoft Azure, AWS, Amazon Web Services, and Google Cloud. All three of these providers are best in class, three biggest companies in the world. You log in into their uh, website, you sign up. If you know what you're doing, you can pull up a server within, I don't want to say minutes, but definitely under the hour. You can have a server up and running. And the server could be uh, Linux, it could be a uh, um, uh, Windows server, so it's, it's very, very flexible how, um, how these servers get pulled. But you, cannot, you really need to know what you're doing. You got to have an IT staff. But zero hardware 
required other than your workstation that you're using to set this whole thing up. Now, the opposite of self-managed platforms would be managed service providers. So typically with managed service providers, you're outsourcing the entire IT function to a third party, to a company. And it requires no IT staff and no, and no hardware. So you're basically trusting them with your IT infrastructure. And there's a gazillion companies and they're typically very small. There isn't like a big name like Microsoft, AWS. So I'm not gonna mention a particular one just because if you, if you Google MSP or managed service provider and you go to like top 10, top 20, four small business, four mid-market, 10 different websites will give you 10 different listings. So these are typically much smaller regional type companies that offer this. Now, for industry specifically, let's talk about our industry for accounting, some MSPs productize their services and they call themselves a hosting service provider. And they usually add the word for QuickBooks, for tax software A, B, and C, for Sage, right? So they, so they are, they're MSPs that focus on one major application of that industry. So in the QuickBooks desktop world, the biggest player is Right Networks. They actually have a contract with Intuit and QuickBooks users, they can purchase QuickBooks Enterprise and hosting at the same time. They pay a single provider, they pay Intuit. So it feels like Intuit is providing cloud-based desktop software, but it's really two providers. It's Intuit selling them the desktop software and Right Networks uh, supporting the hosted solution. So that's why they're biggest. Some of the competitors to Right Networks are, or, or independent from Intuit um, MSPs that are industry-based or application-based are GoToMyERP, SwissNet with two Zs, SwissNet, Summit Hosting, and Ace Cloud Hosting. So these are the five biggest players, especially when you say QuickBooks hosting services or, or something like that. Uh, we're talking about within the context of QuickBooks Desktop. Some of these host uh, Sage 50 and Sage 100 as well. Now let's move on to web-based platforms in this category that we're discussing. So with web-based platforms, there's a whole slew of them. And what I'll do is I'll just go straight into the examples instead of defining them. So I'm going to group all the examples. And these are all the apps that I ever encountered with um, or ever played with or used or, 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 or been exposed to in my entire career. And, and, and there's more too, but I, I'm going to tell you sort of the biggest ones, the ones that matter. So I'm going to break them down into, into different subcategories. So productivity and collaboration platforms will be one subcategory. Information management will be another subcategory. File management will be the third subcategory. Internal communications management will be the fourth subcategory. External communication management will be the fifth subcategory. Project and task management, some people call this practice management, and we'll save practice management to episode eight of the podcast mini-series because we got to go through the entire first seven of, like, how do you run your business before we talk about, okay, now that we know how we want to run our business, how do we pick the one practice management solution that can uh, cater to our entire strategic intent? But I will talk about some of the common practice management apps here in the project task management category. And then last one is accounting or platform ERP. 
uh, which is um, uh, the one that we're going to discuss as sort of the third segment of this of this uh, episode and the add-ons to those accounting or platform um, ERPs. So before we jump in, Blake, I think you want to do the mid-roll so we can thank Avalara for the podcast. Exactly. Thank you so much to Avalara for their financial support that makes this series possible. Avalara came to me and came to Hector and said, hey, we want to help accountants be more effective, run better practices, be happier. Please use your judgment, make a series that you think will help. And they gave us total freedom to do that. So thank you so much. So here's a message from Avalara. Please do check them out. Did you know that 52% of accounting practitioners from small to large still rely on spreadsheets and manual processes for sales tax compliance? It's time to stop and focus on automation. The Avalara for Accountants suite empowers even the smallest practitioner to support clients' tax compliance needs. All firms can benefit from our referral program. Simply refer clients to Avalara and let us assist on your behalf. For practices that offer direct compliance services, use Avalara for Accountants award-winning tools to help you start or grow a tax compliance or CAS service. Expressly designed for accounting service providers with multiple clients, solutions include real-time rates, automated returns filing, registrations, tax research, and automated tax solutions for specialized tax areas. Partner with Avalara and grow your practice with efficient and accurate sales tax compliance while reducing risks for you and your clients. To learn more, contact Avalara at accountants at avalara.com or visit them at avalara.com slash accountants. All right, back to productivity and collaboration platforms. All right, so the first subgroup of apps, you know, this is what people like to call the tech stack, right? So that's a, that's a buzzword in today's industry. What's your tech stack? So um, I will tell you which was I use personally, um, and uh, but I want to break them down so you can also see the ones I've used before or tried or, or know of their existence. So let's start with productivity and collaboration platforms. And I guarantee you, every accounting firm is using one of these three, no matter what. In some cases, they're using all three, which makes things even more confusing, or two out of the three. This is the one I recommend to marry one and one only and try to restrict users to not use at least two. This will make total sense. You're going to be like, oh, yeah, of course, I use, both. I use two of these. So the one of the biggest one um, that's, I would say, biggest one of the modern world, let's call it that, is Google Workspace, formerly known as G Suite. This is the Gmail, the Google Doc, Google Sheets, uh, Google Presentations, Meet or Hangout. And Google has like 50 or 40, 50 or 60, actually, sub-applications in the workspace environment, including tons of them that are just testing and they might live for a year and, and die because Google's always experimenting. And Google Workspace was Google's response to Microsoft Office, right? And then the second one is Office 365, which is Microsoft's response to Google Workspace, right? Because Microsoft, for a very long time, owned the productivity space, especially on PCs. Mac is a little bit fragmented, but on PCs with Excel, Word, PowerPoint, Outlook, uh, OneNote, and most recently, especially post-pandemic, Teams. Right? Teams was sort of the replacement of Skype. And sort of when Skype meets 
Zoom, and Slack, right? So, um, so Office 365 is the sometimes cloud version, sometimes desktop version, but definitely subscription version of the of a web-based or web-powered, let's call it that, um, productivity tool. And for a long time, there hasn't really been a contender. And the one that has really impressed us, uh, and many people in the industry, Blake would probably agree, is out of nowhere, this company called Zoho, Z-O-H-O, -O, um, basically became an entire platform that it's as powerful as Google Workspace and Microsoft Office. Now, I say as powerful because they're natively cloud-based and the ability to expand, create more apps, integrate with each other, integrate with other apps is, is incredible. And because pretty much they were born like that. They were born as a web-based platform. So the scalability of Soho, like how quickly Soho can add new apps, sometimes um, it's, it's, a, it's true envy for Google and Microsoft. Well, these are the three biggest uh, productivity collaboration platforms. The one tip I'll give you is I use Excel sometimes. I use Google Sheets sometimes. I'm even a culprit of using both. And I have my own reasons. But almost always, when I go back and try to find what I was working on, there's an extra one-minute delay in my head where I'm trying to remember if I did it in Google or if I did it in Microsoft. Did I save it into my SharePoint, I mean, into my OneDrive, or is it locally in my computer? And that just creates sort of a lot of waste. So if you were using a single platform, typically there's a single place for you to go search. So yes, I get it. Google Sheets and Microsoft Excel, they're not comparable power-wise, but you know maybe you build it in Excel and then upload it to Google Drive so you have a single place where, where it is. But I can tell you from personal experience, that has caused issues for me. Um, I, I see some firms that use Gmail, but they manage their Gmail in Outlook, which is pretty much insane, but they do, but they do that. You know, so like stick to one, right? So either use Outlook or use Gmail, but like using both, it's like you're, you're mixing in too, too big of a monster of sort of uh, two monster, monsters with really long tentacles. And it's just too too open for confusion. So this Google versus Microsoft debate is probably going to be the debate of the ages, or at least for the next 10 years, just like QuickBooks Desktop versus QuickBooks Online, or desktop application versus any cloud-based application like Zero FreshBooks or QBO has been the debate of the last 10 years. I think the next 10 years, like pretty much the cloud-based accounting has won that debate. Now it's, okay, do we go, you know, Gmail, Zoho, or do we stay with Microsoft? So that's another yeah. important thing that's going to come in the pipe. And I feel like a lot of times this debate between Google and Microsoft falls also along Mac and PC lines, because if you have a PC and you're running Windows, like the Microsoft suite makes a lot of sense. But if you have a Mac, I guess it's different now. Microsoft has all the stuff and bells and whistles. Like Excel for Mac actually is usable now to... I mean, some yeah. <laughs> people might argue with that, but it's pretty good. And you've got all the online stuff too. So you can do either on Mac, but for a long time, you couldn't really. And if you were on a Mac, Correct. you kind of had to do Google. Yeah, you know, interesting observation from my experience. And you, had, you asked the question earlier about, you know, do I have a census on, 
who's using local versus hosting. And if you were to ask me the same thing, do I have a census on who's using Mac versus PC and Google versus Microsoft? One thing I found is Mac users, because they're so used to not getting the full feature set of Microsoft apps on Mac, they were more likely to jump straight into a cloud-based solution like, like um, Google, even if, quote-unquote, G, sheet, uh, G Sheets or Google Sheets is much weaker than Excel because they're like, well, you know what? Excel for Mac is much weaker than Excel for PC anyway, so I might as well go straight to cloud. So I found that um, accounting firms that have a lot of Mac users are more likely to go to cloud, even though Mac and PC have nothing to do with cloud or not cloud, but I find Mac users are more likely to go cloud. Okay. Also because Mac users were earlier adopters of iPhone and earlier adopters of iPhone are statistically more likely to do things on the cloud anyway. So that could be <clears throat> sort of a leading indicator of that as well. So the next subcategory here is information management. So I'm going to go through them. Airtable is kind of the hottest thing on simplified, no-code database management. Okay, so you can, if, if you were always interested on learning about databases and everything about databases was intimidating for you, for you, Airtable is your gateway drug into databases. Super easy to do. I've never known databases. I use Airtable myself. I love it. I think Blake used Airtable as well. Yeah, we use it for ad sales for the Cloud Accounting Podcast. And we have all these automations with forms where people can order in a page on a website and it kicks off all of these tasks and uh, it's, it's all custom built by my co-host, David Leary. Right. So instead of having just a bunch of spreadsheets with a bunch of data, which is how most accounting firms sort of do their quasi-databases, is Airtable is one place where it feels like a bunch of, it, it could feel like a bunch of spreadsheets with a bunch of data, but it could be organized and cross-referenced yeah. through all your databases. And then the, Monday.com, the automations, the, the automations that you yeah. build between the databases, that's where it's really, a, really powerful. Sort of the syncing of the data or referencing of the yep. data, because you don't always have to sync the data between databases, you just reference it. You're like, okay, by the way, if, if, if this customer has this status on this database, then, you know, on this other database, you know, change this tag or change the status or whatever. Uh, Monday is, I would say, is the closest contender to Airtable. The difference between Monday and Airtable, and, and in its core, they're not very different. Because uh, when you customize Monday, you can make it look like Airtable. And when you customize Airtable, you can make it look like Monday. It's just that Monday, it's more of an interface-driven app. It's customizing the user experience on clicking, dragging, and moving, where Airtable is more focused on the data itself. So Monday took a visual approach, where Airtable took a data approach. They're both cloud-based. They're both databases. They, they can both be customized to have different views, but Airtable is much more of a database, and Monday is much more of the front end, per se. Monday is a great front end. Airtable is a better back end. You could call it like that. But you'll be, don't be surprised if Airtable starts looking more like Monday up front with better front end and Monday feeling more like a database over time. Those two are probably the hottest thing in the industry. Uh, we use Monday.com in our practice for, uh, for our cleanup projects. Uh, there's Microsoft SQL, which is the most traditional one. 
most IT people will go straight to Microsoft SQL, especially if you have your own server. So people with their own local servers are very likely to use Microsoft SQL. Uh, then there's Notion. Okay, I don't use Notion, but everybody talks about Notion. It's the hardest thing out there. Blake, maybe you have some, some to say about Notion. I love Notion as a wiki. It's kind of weak as a database, but it's it's really started as a as a wiki. So think of it like a bunch of Google Docs or a bunch of Word documents that are all tied together in a website view. You can create an internal website. Maybe it's like a SharePoint, but it actually works really well. Um, and you can make pages public too. So it's a really nice way to put up pages on the internet that you want to share with people without having to go and put it onto a website. You can basically make your own website in Notion as well. Now, can we, can we define wiki for people that don't automatically understand wiki? Yeah. Um, you know, like a knowledge, like a knowledge, internal knowledge base. Yeah. Knowledge management system. Yeah. Like a, a frequently asked questions for your firm or a process documentation uh, place. So I put in, for instance, we produce podcast episodes and all of my knowledge of, of the best practices for how we do it and what settings we use, they go into a Notion page. And then the editors can reference that. It's like a training manual uh, of sorts. Okay. So imagine a Wikipedia for your firm about how to do stuff inside your firm. Some people use it to track uh, client information even, right? Use it as a, a page for each client and then you know, you, you, some new piece of information comes in, just drop it into Notion. Uh, so it's like a quasi-CRM as well. It could be, yeah. It's, it's very flexible. Yeah. yeah. What's happening now is all these app companies are starting all to look the same. <laughs> like like well, the I, next one in the list is ClickUp. And they added... So ClickUp started... Wiki. They added the whole like yeah. document thing now, but they started as task management. Exactly. So yeah. ClickUp was, hey, just add your task and... You know, click it up if it's ready, click it down if it's priority. That's all it was. It was a simple, you know, list your task and reorder them. But ClickUp, I think it's maybe like a seven-year-old app. They, this thing has become this humongous database, Notion, Airtable, Monday.com, Notion, Start App. So like, I'm impressed on how often ClickUp shows up in the top 10 productivity apps of all different sorts of angles. I didn't use it myself, by the way, but I, I remember... I watching my friend Seth David uh, rave about ClickUp yeah. when it first started, just as a simple task management app. There's a few firms that uh, use it as their exclusive practice management tool, and uh, it works for them. Yeah. There's a company called Alation. Alation. Blake, do you have a better way to I, I, pronounce that one? I don't actually know. I've always said Atlassian, but I could be wrong. Atlassian? I have no idea. So this company pretty much was created to acquire <laughs> information management apps. So they've acquired Jira, Confluence, and Trello. And I've never used Confluence or Jira, but I've known Trello for a long time. And Trello was a very popular sort of practice management app. So Alation could be the next company that creates a whole slew of practice, not specifically just for accountants, just, just business management and database management. So watch for those. Of course, Salesforce started as a CRM, and now Salesforce is pretty much everything. <laughs> Salesforce is a full-blown ERP. Like I saw, I went to a bank a couple of days ago, and they added the way they created my account is with Salesforce. You know, like you know, it's that has nothing to do with CRM. You know, it's like backend account management for a bank. So like Salesforce has become the everything, everything, and Salesforce is now so far away from small business that they don't even have something that a small business would even fathom to pay 
Um, but interesting enough, when I go do consulting with a small business client, they say, hey, we're thinking about adding CRM. We're looking at Salesforce. <laughs> and I have to say bad news. You know, Salesforce is like an SAP. It's like it's this whole monster of application and it will cost you a lot to do. Now, one that has lost traction, but it was one of the big ones, sort of, I would say this is Notion before Notion was a thing, is Basecamp. Um, so um, also very famous. Okay, let's move on to subsection three of apps, file management. So I think the number one cloud-based file management has inadvertently become Google Drive. Um, even though Dropbox is kind of a close contender, uh, it will be between those two. Um, Google Drive is free for most people. And obviously that has driven the amount of users. Google Drive is very convenient for Gmail users. So that has driven a lot of users. Google Drive is the fundamental uh, database of your Google Sheets, your Google Docs, your Google Slides. So it's become the default uh, document management yeah. app. So, so for me, when Google Drive added the file stream app to Mac, I'm on Mac, I think they have it for PC as well, but when they added this file stream option, that's when it became a Dropbox killer, a box killer, because it allows you to use Google Drive like a network drive. It maps it. It feels like a local yeah. folder in your computer. Right, so I can have a computer with you know only 500 gigabytes of storage, and I've got all of my cloud files on a network drive that operates like it's uh, on a server in my home. Like, like a file server, right? Yeah. Like a, yeah. like a VPN file server yes. type of stuff. And hey, it, all call, it, it all comes full circle. And Google has so much uh, you know, storage capacity as a business that they make it essentially free. So I can have as many files as I want if I'm on a Google Apps subscription and they don't charge me extra, which is kind of insane. Right. It's, it's a, that that right. makes it a good deal. Yeah. One, one thing I find Google Drive to not be a good fit for is for client collaboration. Yeah. Because like, like adding clients to a Google Drive folder and they have to have a Gmail account, it, it's just really confusing. The, the web platform of Google Drive is not friendly for clients to upload the W2s. I find Dropbox is a little bit easier than that, even though it's technically not a good solution either. But the reason why Dropbox is potentially a good solution is because people already know how to use Dropbox. Mm -hmm. So you have the benefit of people already knowing how to use it to be able to navigate through it. But for, for client collaboration, neither one of these are good if your clients are not techie. What would be amazing would with Google Drive is if they had a, a way to set up a portal for your firm where you could just direct people to a page on your website and they upload files and it goes into like an inbox in Google Drive. Maybe that exists, but I haven't been able to easily create that. Yeah. That would be awesome. You're right. You're right. Maybe that's the next thing with Airtable and automation. Yeah. You know, could we get Airtable to, to, to be the database that calls the Google Drive files that have a front end for customers to log in? I mean, the, the, it needs to be secure. Bottom line, it needs to be secure. And when you deliver the file, you have to have the ability to one, password protect, two, um, easily organize folders so customers know what is their data, your data. And you also have to make it easy for the customers to share to third-party users. So if you, set, you put a tax return on a Dropbox or in a Google Drive, 
it could be a whole, I mean, it could be a whole surprise as to what they do to end up sharing that file and inadvertently uh, open up access to all, of, all other sorts of files that they don't want to yeah. give access to other users. So you got to be very careful with those two for client data. So we mentioned box.com. If you're a Microsoft user, OneDrive is basically a Dropbox or Google Drive for Microsoft, um, for Microsoft application-driven files, Word, Excel, but you can put anything in a OneDrive at this point. And sync.com, is, it, it's, I've never used it, but that's come up a lot in my searches. And kind of the old school one in our profession is Smart, Smart Vault. Smart Vault was the first app to really productize file management. Um, and, and, and client portals, they're still there. They're still kicking it, but I, I feel that Smartville has kind of, um, they've been out-innovated by some of the other solutions, but the, the, a lot of accounting firms still use them. Okay, let's talk about apps for internal communication management. It should be no surprise to you that the number one is Zoom. Zoom has done from a, I, I don't know about the profitability and the stock price, but strategically speaking, Zoom, in terms of adaptation, has been one of the most powerful new apps of the past decade I've ever seen. I mean, the level of adaptation and the, what was most impressive about Zoom, which is a testament of how good the company is, is how the pandemic happened and Zoom did not glitch. I mean, yes, some minor cases, but I continue to do webinars and meetings with Zoom with all of a sudden, hundred times the volume of usage and somehow Zoom was able to handle it. Now, I would not be surprised if Zoom used AWS, you know, for backbone, IT computing. And like I said, they said, hey, pandemic's here. Do you have capacity to make it a hundred times more capable? And somehow Amazon had the capacity and said, yep, we're good to go. So Zoom has been just very impressive. And what I like about Zoom too, for, I, I'm, I'm not trying to endorse it, although Zoom, if you want to endorse a podcast, we'll welcome you to do that. But what I love about Zoom is they added telephony, which really simplified my office communications. So I have I pay one fee per user that has my Zoom communications and my IP phone. Ah, uh, that's so one. That's phone. a big selling yeah. point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what's really cool is if somebody calls me to my Zoom phone, it literally rings on my physical um, internet phone I have here. And also rings in my computer if my Zoom app is turned on and it rings on my phone. So they really simplify and I can pick it up from anywhere. And I can, and I can initiate a phone call from my physical phone to another employee and then transfer it to a Zoom meeting. Really? Phone. Wow. Yeah. It, it's, That's it's great. Really impressive. It's really impressive. Yeah. Really impressive. Um, what I wish Zoom had was a Slack type of thing. So unfortunately, I'm using both Zoom and Slack, and, and I feel that these two things are redundant, and yeah. I wish Zoom had a Slack type of component. So it, It's a huge missed it's, opportunity because they do have chat. I don't, a lot of people don't realize that the Zoom app has a way to chat with other Zoom users, but they never really focused on it, and so... But it's a really basic chat. Yeah. It's like ICQ. Right. You know, it's, like, it's, like, it's almost like first-generation yeah. chat, I'll, you know, where, where Slack is like... Hundred generation, but but you know, uh, chat doesn't have to be super fancy. If they just built something like Google Chat, where you can have persistent chat rooms and you can have threads, it's not, it's not that complicated. Where, what most people but, need, Blake. What where where 
where Slack really stands out yeah. is you can have specialized rooms. Right. So it's not just chatting between people. Right. It's to have a topic of conversation and a history right. of the to- that's isolated from a different topic of conversation. That's, and that's and that, where Slack really And that's what Zoom needs to add. And then it would be great because clients are already using Zoom. Almost everybody has used Zoom now, right? So what if you could just like chat securely with clients via the Zoom on their phone? It would solve so many communication issues. That, that's true. What, what, I, what I think accountants will fear is by giving somebody the power of Zoom, <laughs> they're gonna request a Zoom meeting every single time and it'll be a little bit more intrusive. Yeah. So, but might, might not be a bad thing. Then we have Google Meet or Google Hangouts, which surprisingly, I mean, it's, people use it by default because they use Google Workspace, but it doesn't seem to be very popular. Uh, but it's all built in, it's all free. You know, like you can do, you can do free Google Hangouts for a lot longer than you can with free Zoom. Then there's Microsoft Teams, which uh, I don't want to talk about Microsoft, but m- my experience with Microsoft Teams, especially during uh, my kids' school, virtual school, it was just so negative. And, and I think that Microsoft Teams not nailing the experience on the school made all the parents cringe about Teams. And that's why I would never consider Teams versus Zoom. However, Fun fact, Microsoft Teams is more of a Zoom plus Slack. But like our, our office still chooses to have Zoom and Slack, although we wish it was one. Microsoft Teams is kind of both. So that's the interesting piece where, where I want it, but I have such a weird feeling towards Microsoft Teams that I don't use it too much. And Ring Central, which I believe uses Zoom architecture, <laughs> but, but they've they done a really good job See, Ring Central did the combining of telephony, of e-fax, and Zoom meetings into a single package. And that's why they rose up, you know, um, versus Zoom. But they, they still use the same Zoom platform. It's interesting. And ClickUp, <laughs> not surprisingly, like I said, ClickUp now added, you know, video calls and internal communication. So ClickUp has become this humongous app that does everything. And I got to check it out myself. I haven't seen it in like seven years, but it, it's pretty impressive what, you know, where ClickUp has moved up in the ranks and has become pretty much an all business platform. Okay, let's shift over to external communication management. So Pipedrive CRM is a, is a CRM app that we use in our firm uh, because it's really, I mean, we've used about seven different ones. We use Insightly, we use Method, we use Zoho CRM. And uh, I think at some point, like maybe seven years ago, I used HubSpot mostly for social media management and it became a CRM solution afterwards. But at the end of the day, the issue that I have with CRMs is if the users don't, like if your employees, your team doesn't go in there and feed it information, it's useless. And if there's any consternation, if anything feels uh, clunky or like it feels like double data entry, your employees are not going to use it fully. And we found Pipedrive to be super easy to like type into. So like, I'm always going to be buying into the CRM app because they're all, CRMs are all the same. But the one that makes it easiest to load data in there. So that's why we chose um, Pipedrive. But I'm not going to endorse it over. Zoho CRM is wonderful. Method is amazing if you want to integrate with QuickBooks. I mean, I'm sure that there's um, a good CRM that integrates with zero. I, I don't know. 
that world, Blake, if you know one, you know, feel free to mention it. Yeah, there's quite a few. Um, I mean, I I don't know if I have one off the top of my head. My favorite right now is, I think it's on your list, is Active Campaign. That's the one I'm using. Active Campaign. Yeah. Which is similar to MailChimp, right? Mm. It's more like yeah. uh, email marketing. Yeah, and it's more for, I don't know if I would actually recommend it for an accounting firm because it's more about automation. Uh, and so, you know, they get a lot of e-commerce companies, software companies using it, uh, but you could automate communication. Yeah. But if you had a very automated firm, uh, and you wanted to like automate most of your, uh, client onboarding and you want to automate most of like the signup process, you could do that with like something like active campaign. Does it integrate with Airtable, by the way? Or no? I, mean, I hope it does because we're going to try and uh, do uh, that. Yeah. We're going to try it. Yeah. yeah. So I, I use, so I use MailChimp and not because I'm a, QuickBooks person, but I used MailChimp before Intuit acquired MailChimp. You know, I I I I was delivering CPE certificates through my webinar series six years ago via MailChimp. So so I, I use MailChimp for just mass emailing uh, people, and I have a big database of people that want to know about my trainings and my webinars. So that's how I keep people informed with MailChimp. I'm also using MailChimp to inform. I developed a new app called Right Tool, mm -hmm. and um, I'm having people sign up to the Mailchimp uh, list so they can be informed when there's a new update. So every time there's a new update, I e automatic automatically email them uh, all the new things that have um, uh, it, uh, added to the app. And then when when a new person logs in, I mean signs up to the mailing list, it automatically sends an email on instructions on how to install it and download it. So Mailchimp has also worked for certain levels of automation for me. And Monday.com is used as a CRM as well. So it is part of the category. Uh, Soho CRM, of course, Salesforce CRM, HubSpot CRM, which was social media management, and now it's both social media and CRM. So if your company is very much social media driven, I think you would like HubSpot quite a bit. Yep. There's also ClickUp, <laughs> ClickUp also creeping into CRM, uh, Keep, um, it's another uh, big one, and um, active campaign, Blake, which ah. which you mentioned you're you're using. And I love HubSpot, and one of their big selling points is I, I their CRM is free. I think it's still free, and that's a hook to get you into their marketing automation software. Mm. So you can sign up for HubSpot CRM for free and use it. Like that's pretty great. See, I, I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. Okay, so I'm going to specifically talk about uh, project task management that's mostly used in the accounting industry. There's Monday.com, which is not one of the biggest ones, by the way. I would argue that Carbon is bigger than Monday.com, but that's the one we use. So I mentioned it. I mentioned it first. Um, and, and by the way, I love Monday.com and I hate it. Okay, so I love, I love it because we got it to work. I hate it because it took me two years to get it to work. So, and that's the problem with um, apps that were not designed for your industry so you got to keep tweaking and adapting to make it match your industry. So Monday.com, it's a generic database CRM app that you have to continue to mold to make it work for you. But after two years, we're happy with it. There's Taxdom, which we're also using. I love Taxdom. Um, we use that only for the tax workflow. I hate the fact that in my firm, we have a bookkeeping workflow and a tax workflow into different places. But the requirements of a tax workflow are very different than a um, CAS, accounting, bookkeeping workflow. There's a lot of signing of documents on the tax side. There's a lot of KBA, um, um, like know, know your customer uh, type of stuff where people have to 
you know, verify who they are, identity, um, identification. So I found Taxdom to be sort of the best of both worlds on that. Um, there's also Client Hub. Client Hub is a fairly new one into the market, but they've been very supportive of the accounting industry. And this was designed, I believe, by a QuickBooks Pro advisor. So like they're thinking of a QuickBooks accountant in mind. Okay. So um, that's why that's why Client Hub is so popular. There's also Keeper, which I would say is probably the best direct competitor to Client Hub. Um, they're also tackling, for the most part, the QuickBooks consultant, QuickBooks bookkeeper market, but they recently added zero um, into Keeper as support. So Keeper is a good task management app that syncs with QuickBooks and zero, which is interesting. Then there's Carbon, which I think it was founded by a bunch of zero people, X zero people. So Carbon started mostly to try to serve the zero community, but I would argue that the majority of, of users of Carbon are QuickBooks users. Now, Carbon has an interesting sort of inbox triage management approach to task management. So Carbon is probably the most, the one that has the most personality out of all of them. The rest of them all sort of feel very similar. There's also Ignition, which is the most unique of all of them because Ignition is not a task manager or a project manager. Ignition, or at least started as solely an engagement management. So like all the things that happen to get the customer in, to get paid, to sign the contract. I don't know if deals with workflow after the fact, it's probably not going to be too strong in that, but that's what makes um, Ignition, or used to be called Practice Ignition, now Ignition, uh, most unique. And then there's Trello. We mentioned Trello earlier. And one that I've seen a lot of bookkeepers use is Financial Sense. Seems to be very popular. And Smartsheet at the beginning got some traction because it felt like a spreadsheet. But I almost feel that Smartsheet has, has become much more abstract over time. And there's also Asana. Asana has been a very popular one. And not surprised, ClickUp <laughs> shows up again under task management. I promise you ClickUp is not sponsoring this podcast. It's just, I don't know what they've done. It's like they're trying to do everything. Now. But they should sponsor. So, okay. So that was, um, yeah, they should. You're, you're right. So um, we are going to uh, talk about the third uh, sub-segment here, or, or actually we're going to finish the um, hardware and platforms here by talking about sort of like peripherals. So I'll just have to make it really quick. Okay. Number one, if you're an accounting firm, you need to have a workstation for two or three years. The cost of upgrading a workstation and dealing with the downtime and getting IT people and waiting for the new memory or the new hard drive typically supersedes just buying a new laptop, <laughs> a new desktop. So like make it as part of the cost of doing business to change your workstations every two or three years. Two, and this is one thing that grinds my gears. When I go to a an accounting firm specifically, and I see a user on a single monitor, it makes me want to just flip, okay? Because why would you miss the opportunity to pretty much double the viewing space that that person has, increasing productivity by 20 or 30% because you want to save $200? So like to me, every user should have the benefit of two monitors. If that user doesn't know how to use two monitors or, or can't really um, you know, make it productive for them, then I get it. But for the most part, every user, almost every user can draw value from that. I recommend 
at least 24 or 27 inch and do high contrast because it's people that are watching a screen all day long and you want them to very easily increase and decrease that contrast depends on how tired the eyes are so you don't want to get a, you don't want to go cheap on a monitor for sure plus a monitor staring at a monitor all day gives employees headaches headaches are never productive right so monitors are something you want to invest in um document scanning i see so many firms go cheap on document scanners and they want their employees to be productive but they sit there staring at the scanner run through 100 pages that the client gave you for five minutes, you know, because they didn't spend an extra 200 bucks or 300 bucks on a faster scanner. If you're scanning documents because your customers are not giving you digital documents, then don't go cheap. Like one thing that drives me crazy is when I see an employee staring at a scanner. <laughs> it's just, just, you know, not, not a best use of productivity. No. And for printers, I, I, I'm not talking about printers, but laser, just, just go with laser. Forget about ink. Ink is like, so 1980s, just go with laser, even if it's more expensive, it's faster, it's just better, bottom line. Okay, let's move on to accounting platforms and ecosystems. So the most common one, the biggest one is QuickBooks Online. I don't wanna call QuickBooks Online an ERP. I know Intuit wants me to call it an ERP. I just can't, I can't, it's not. It's not an ERP, okay? Um, I have my reasons why and I'll, same in a little bit. Next one is QuickBooks Desktop, which is also not an ERP. But if I had to call one thing an ERP, I think desktop is much more of an ERP from a features perspective. From a connectivity and an ecosystem perspective, QuickBooks Online behaves more like an ERP. So in, in the near future, if one of these two, desktop or online, will become an ERP, it will be online. Then we have zero, again, wouldn't call Zero an ERP either. It's an accounting platform with an ecosystem, Zoho Books and FreshBooks. And FreshBooks is, you know, still not a full accounting software. It's, it's, it's getting there. And they're doing a good job at that. Now let's talk about mid-market. So mid-market um, is gonna be typically an ERP. And the reason why, in my opinion, what makes an ERP an ERP and not an ERP is how robust the user permission structure is, how robust the custom reporting platform is, and how customizable the experience for the user and the different departments and the sub-users within the departments can be, which QuickBooks Online and Zero and Desktop, Soho Books and FreshBooks are one size fits all. They're not customizable for the particular industry. So the players on the ERP world and mid-market are NetSuite, Microsoft Dynamics, Sage Intact, Odoo, and SAP Business One. Some of the pros of QuickBooks Desktop is it's been 30 plus years in the market as a low, loyal, old school followership, still has about a million users, best bang for the buck feature by feature wise versus other ERP solutions, is great for inventory job costing and reports, at a relatively low cost. The, the biggest con with QuickBooks Desktop is risk of obsolescence. Like QuickBooks Desktop users never know or, or always fear that the rug is gonna be pulled under them and QuickBooks Desktop will be phased out. Unfortunately, that's the reality we live in. 
Okay? Support is dwindling. You know what's funny? Five to seven years ago, I used to get clients that say, hey, I want to work with you because my, my accountant doesn't support QuickBooks Online. Now it's, <laughs> now it's the opposite. Now people are saying, hey, I want to work with you because my accountant <laughs> is not supporting QuickBooks Desktop. That's, that's fascinating. It has flipped in 10 years. It's gone from 20%, 80% to 80%, 20%. That's incredible. It, it, it's, it's, it's fascinating. Yeah. Um, it, desktop has a clunky multi-user experience. Um, I still go to offices where they have QuickBooks desktop and I'm sitting in front of the bookkeeper and I have to do something that requires um, a single user mode. And you're going to laugh at this. He goes, Hector, she goes, Hector, cover your ears. And, I go, and they start yelling, hey, guys, I'm going in multi-user mode. Hey, get out of QuickBooks. I mean, I'm going in single user mode. Get out of QuickBooks. Or you see them press through all the extensions on the phone and go, Bob, get out of QuickBooks. I'm going to go in single user mode. But Robert, oh my gosh. It, it, it's insanity. It's insanity, but it's it's comedic for the most part. So the multi-user experience in QuickBooks desktop is just is horrible. It's horrible, um, and it's not so great with um, large databases. And by the way, I'm a lover and a supporter of QuickBooks desktop. You know that. My, you know people that follow me, they know that. But the online experience on Zero and QBO for multi-user is night and day, especially on the multi-user mm -hmm. side, and it's very slow to do updates and new features because you have to download the updates, install them, restart the computer. With QBO or Zero, they add a new feature, done. It's there. QuickBooks Online. Pros is 10 plus years in the market as a mature industry, has a lower, a, a loyal followership, especially for people just getting into the profession, the younger accountants. Over 5 million users, extremely easy to use. I would say probably its biggest pro. At the same time, it's gone. It's so easy to use that people have a false sense of security and they screw things up in QBO so much more often than any other software I have seen in my life, which gives accountants and bookkeepers tons of job security, but it just adds to the frustration that it's maybe too easy to use. Um, it's easy for accountant user collaboration, easy for multi-user collaboration, as I mentioned, Tons of learning materials and third parties supporting, creating content videos, articles, answers, Facebook groups. Um, it's a relatively fast pace of new features for up, um, updated, although I, I'll be the first one to say not fast enough for me, but relatively compared to all the other um, accounting solutions, QBO can update pretty quickly and, and deliver updates pretty quickly. Very low cost of entry. I would say one of the few apps that you can say, Today, I want to go to the cloud, okay? And you can literally start typing stuff on a browser to up and running within 30 minutes. I don't know how if Zero works like this, but QBO very much feels that, that is very, very, very easy to get started. Um, and the largest ecosystem of integrating apps. So no surprise, they got 5 million users. Every app developer wants to connect to it, okay? So it's just logic. Cons, still far behind that its predecessor, the desktop, in feature set. Too many changes too fast leads to broken features. And this is not, not just QBO. I think Zero has been a culprit of this too. And FreshBooks now is trying to update. When you do too many updates too fast, something can be broken or half broken, and that drives accountants bunkers, right? Like accounting needs to work. It can't, you know, hey, 
sorry, it kind of works because we're trying something new. That doesn't fly <laughs> with accountants. Um, higher monthly fees are the competitor. I would say that feature to feature, QBO is going to have highest monthly fees. Like Zero has a $10 or close to $10 per company file entry point for like a write-up type of client. QBO doesn't have this. So I think that's probably one of the biggest cons. Um, in my opinion, because they have the largest market share, QuickBooks Online is getting way too comfortable with their pole position and they have a target in their, on their back. If QBO doesn't quickly address all the little issues that it has, you know, I think there's many companies out there looking to take after their position. On a Zero, Soho Books and Fresh Books, and sort of combining them because you take Soho Books, Zero, Fresh Books, and they're still not a tenth of the market share of, of QuickBooks as a whole, but they're the biggest alternatives to QuickBooks Online. Some of the cons, and I'll include QuickBooks Online on this, is that these are ecosystems and they're not ERPs and they're, they're all one size fits all. And this works great if you're targeting accountants, but when you're targeting small businesses, if you're not trying to cater to construction, medical, or um, manufacturing, then the app itself falls short. And then you need a third-party app. And if a third-party app doesn't have seamless integration uh, to it, then most small business owners get frustrated that they have to learn two systems. And uh, as a friend, Doug's leader, says, customers want one throat to choke. They don't want one app to blame the other app and vice versa. Okay? And um, one of the things that's cool about uh, these QBO, Zero, and FreshBooks is that integration is a no-code approach. Like, I've, I've integrated tons of apps. I've never written one line of code. If you're working with ERP systems, there's going to be a lot of, line of lines of code. So there's not that much no-code approach to integrating NetSuite with application and that sort of thing. Although they're, they're getting better. They're getting better. Some of the uh, um, sort of the issues with mid-market ERP applications, such as NetSuite, Dynamics, Intact, Odoo, SAP, is implementing, the implementing cost and software cost averages to at least 100 grand in the first two years of implementation. And I would say 99% of people that implement any of these things will not tell you until year two that they feel confident that the inf implementation is complete or close to complete. So one of the problems I've seen with people that generally outgrow QuickBooks and they go to NetSuite, Intact, or whatever, is that they spend a whole year with parallel systems because they don't trust the new system yet. So they're forced to have two systems so they can at least comply with tax authorities or whatever while they're still trying to figure out how to get you know, the new system in place. Some of the virtues of ERP is, I think I mentioned this earlier, robust access and multi-user platforms, high flexibility and customizability to adapt software to specific workflows and not vice versa. When we talk about tech and people, that's an important piece. The APIs tend to be more robust, but they really are not too much a no-code approach. And ERPs have better reporting platforms. However, getting your custom report 
is normally a mission. <laughs> you got to go to two different consultants until you figure out the one that can build the report for you. So it has more capability of better reporting, but not to the end user. Um, so let's talk about some of the tech stack recommendations for your firm. So for engagement management, for onboarding management, I think Ignition is the only one worth mentioning. For practice management or task management, Client Hub, TaxDome, Keeper, or Carbon, QBO uh, or QuickBooks Online Accountant has a very, very light but free task manager, but is mostly useless for larger firms. Uh, for only CRM, I think I like Soho, Pipedrive, and Monday, and I didn't know HubSpot was free, so I would add Venture at HubSpot to that. Thank you, Blake, for the tip. Uh, CRM with Quick QuickBooks integration, only one in the market, would be Method CRM. HubSpot, I mean, uh, as I mentioned earlier, CRM plus social media, HubSpot. Reporting tools for client advisory, I would recommend Sift, S-Y-F-T, Rich Reporting, Fathom HQ, and Helm Cashflow. For multi-company consolidations, I would recommend QVinci. For uh, digital banking, and this is, I would say, digital banking is hard to define per se, but I would say non-brick and mortar, non-brick and mortar style uh, banking. I think there's a lot of options out there. I would say this is the hottest thing in the fintech world, which is you know a, a company that wants to be a bank or become a bank or spooling banks overnight. But I think Blake and I, as users of Relay Financial, would probably agree they're probably best in class, mostly because the people that built Relay Financial came from the QuickBooks Zero world. So they like understand what we as small business accountants deal with. And I think the biggest threat to Relay or the biggest competitor would be QuickBooks Checking, which is a built-in banking inside QuickBooks, just given the sheer number of users. Webinar and meeting platform, I think Zoom, Zoom you know, is the one that takes the cake. For bank statement conversion, if you have a PDF bank statement for a bank account that was closed and you want to convert it into a file that QuickBooks can read or zero, for that matter, uh, money thumb. And I understand that for zero is really important that when you can't connect the bank, that you at least upload a CSV of that bank so you can reconcile. So money thumb is a great app for converting PDF statements to a readable format for QuickBooks or zero. For payroll management, um, I like ADP, Gusto, QuickBooks Payroll, and OnPay. There's things about each four of those that I absolutely hate, but I will stay with that there are some things about each of those that I absolutely like. And this is going to be more of a personal preference because payroll is a very touchy thing. For contractor management, QuickBooks Payroll is actually pretty good. Uh, and Tax 1099 is a great product for creating 1099s. For QuickBooks Desktop Hosting, uh, Right Networks. For HR management, uh, I really like Rippling. They do a good job. Uh, JustWorks and Senefits are probably the two biggest contenders, but we, we like Rippling a lot. Uh, for sales tax management, it's no surprise, best in class is Avalara. For QBO, navigation enhancement, and I slid this one in, right tool. <laughs> for uh, creating step-by-step -step tutorials, Scribe How, it's amazing. Scribe How, check it out, it's mind-blowing. For creating video capture 
tutorials or quick video that you want to send to your customers. Loom is awesome for podcast or conversation recording. Zoom is more than enough. I mean, I would say nine out of 10 podcasters use Zoom. Once you sort of kick it up a notch, then you use Riverside FM, which is what Cloud, Cloud Accounting Podcast uses and Blake uses for it, this podcast. That's what we're using. So you have, you have what we're using right now. Yeah. 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 And is there anything on transcription that would you recommend? Because I, I don't do a lot of uh, transcription mm -hmm. for conversations or podcasts. Uh, Descript is the editing software that we use that transcribes the audio and the video. Recommend that. Um, Sonics. Is, is that similar to... Otter? Is similar to Otter? similar to it, but, but this enables you to do the editing. Um, what, if you just want pure transcription, uh, I also like, um, uh, what's the name? Sonics.ai. That was uh, founded by the former president of Zero, Jamie Sutherland, who was uh, the oh, first wow. head of Zero in the US. Yeah. Wow, yeah. that's interesting. Very, so I, I always like when one of us is building other applications because they'll think of us first you know when when building solutions now a, a fairly new one into um our world for tax software integration for, because tax software um hasn't really been integrated much in the past couple of years tally is really really interesting if you do uh taxes and for importing data into qbo or or quickbooks on and or desktop sasant of transaction pro and for importing into Zero, you actually don't need a third-party app because the one thing that Zero did better than QBO from the get-go is to build in importing tools for almost every one of their um, transactions. And I would say, and I've always been a critic for Intuit for allowing a third-party market for importing data into your accounting system, which should be fundamental. Would you agree with that? Right? Yes. Unfortunately, it's just not <laughs> enough of the time, you know. <laughs> It's old right, thinking, right. you know, we got to gate yeah. the data, but no, that's not how you grow as a software company these days. Right. Yeah. You can't get the gate data. For time tracking, Harvest, QB Time, and ClockShark are really uh, popular. Uh, to add on inventory to QuickBooks Online, Fishbowl Online and SOS Inventory are the biggest ones. To add on inventory management to zero, I like Lockheed Inventory, which was acquired by zero. Of course, everything I like gets acquired by the opposite company <laughs> of the system that I use. <laughs> I love HubDoc, got acquired by zero. I love Locate Inventory, got acquired by zero. I love Auto Entry, got acquired by, by, um, by uh, Sage. Meanwhile, Intuit acquires things that are not so useful to me. Uh, MailChimp would be the exception. MailChimp is a wonderful, wonderful app. I would, I would endorse MailChimp because I used it even before Intuit had it. So another one that's great for um, adding inventory to zero is Deer Inventory. One that can do um, both zero and QBO for construction management is Noify. Great app, probably best in class for commercial, uh, for commercial construction companies. For builders, for uh, home builders, multiple home builders, I like BuilderTrend and that connects to zero and QuickBooks Online. One really simple fuel service management app that talks to Zero and QBO is Jobber. And add-on for multi-state or e-commerce sales tax calculations, Avalara. For AP management, I like Milio and uh, Build.com. And uh, is there another AP management that you like, uh, uh, Blake? Uh, you said 
Emilio, you said bill.com. Um, you know, I've been yep. using wise, W-I-S-E.com for international payments. And I believe Veeam is also mm-hmm. in that international payments yep. market. Yeah. I don't use either one of them, but worth worth mentioning. For reimbursables or expense management, Expensify, or literally out of nowhere, Divi. I mean, Divi was nothing four years ago. And Expensify was everything. Just like um, Tally was everything <laughs> like, like eight years ago. And now it's nothing. Expensify is everything. So like Divi came out of nowhere to be a really good contender to um, Expensify. Okay. So last segment, let's wrap it up. We went way longer than the hour we were projecting, but I think Blake and I, before the podcast, we were like, how can we do this in, <laughs> in one hour? Uh, it's not easy. And this is the benefit <laughs> of it not being a webinar is we can go over and people can still get their CPE in the app uh, next week. We don't have to do polls. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, and to be honest with you, one of the most pleasant things in the world is to hang out with Blake and chat about, talk shop about the things that matter. Uh, to us. Hey, hey um, Hector, in, in the time we have left, do you think we could answer a question? Uh, Keith, yes, of Keith course. asked, in regards to workstations slash computers, what minimum speed and RAM would you recommend? So, uh, you know, we're not in a podcast I'm talking about you know, megabytes and gigabytes, but I would tell you, any computer you go to Best Buy or Amazon that costs you, a laptop, for example, that costs you $600 or more, that's going to be sufficient for a, for a workstation type of application. Now, on the server itself, that's where you have to be on 32 gigabytes, 64 gigabytes. You have to have a lot of RAM to have a multi-user environment, especially when you run applications. But Keith, for the most part, if you are on the last two generations of um, Intel processors, on somewhere in the middle, like an i5 or above, if you're somewhere in eight gigabytes of RAM, or above, if you have at least a solid state hard drive with 250 gigabytes or above, all those things work the same. All, most of the resources and computing power is happening at the server level anyway. One thing I'll tell you, if you're gonna buy Mac, do buy the latest processor, mm-hmm. uh, M2 or the na- latest M1, because Mac has transformed the way they build their computers and they're getting away from Intel. So, like, don't buy the old Macs that have an Intel. Like, I, wouldn't, I would not put a dollar in the old technology. Definitely go with the M1 or M2 processors with a Mac. Okay? And nowadays, the computers don't come low RAM. I mean, they, they, they come with sufficient RAM. Anyway. So, our, our friend Ron Baker has something that he says a lot. And the older I get, the larger my firm gets, the more observative I get about just life and business, the more the Bakerisms become true to me. And one of the Bakerisms, the thing that Ron Baker says is, you can be efficient with things, but you must be effective with people. And I think that when we go on a rampage of technology, of upgrading, of finding the next shiny object that's going to, quote, solve the problem, we forget that the apps and the technology is there for the people, not the other way. And one of the th- errors I think that we make is because technology is supposed to serve people. And we forget that sometimes because we're 
chasing after a new app or a new piece of hardware that we end up getting the new app or the new hardware that doesn't mold to us. And we end up having to mold our people, our process, even bend our logic, like how we approach business to adapt to that technology. And if you find yourself twisting and turning too many of your processes and your ideas and your values to cater to the limitations of that technology, that's when the technology is no longer serving you. So these are the questions you want to ask yourself or whoever is selling you that technology um, or while you're testing it and demoing it. You know, are you getting the answers you want? First question is, is the technology itself making the experience for the worker pleasant or unpleasant? Like, I have an employee that if I give them another QuickBooks desktop file to work with, I think he'll quit. <laughs> yeah, he's done. <laughs> you know? So like, yes, I know we, we still have some QuickBooks desktop clients, but it's no longer a pleasant experience for him. Where I have another employee where she told me, it happens to be my wife, by the way. She told me, if you change our company file to QBO, where I'm quick, like my firm, my, one of my firms, I have multiple firms. One of my firms is a QuickBooks desktop. If you change that one, then I quit to, to QBO. So, so it could be either way. I mean, like sometimes this is very subjective, but is the experience pleasant? And yes, we can retrain employees. That's true. We should not be at the mercy of a personal preference. but. Are the developers making it pleasant for the user? What about the customer experience? Because sometimes we collaborate with the customers. So the one reason I like TaxDome so much on the um, tax management side is that the portal is super easy to use and the mobile app is super friendly. So my customers can log in to the mobile app and see their tax return. And not a lot of, not a lot of companies uh, pull that off well. Next one is, is the technology mobile friendly, right? A lot of people are, are mobile first. Next question to ask is, does the tech company provide good onboarding for your firm or your clients? You know, the secret sauce of T-Sheets uh, before they were acquired by Intuit is how much effort they put to make sure that the customer went from free trial to functional with aid of a person really quickly. And not a lot of software companies are investing into that. Or they get so big that they can no longer afford to have a capable person doing that onboarding. So as an accountant, especially even though I'm only 42, I'm already an old school accountant in mind because even though I've only been practicing for 14 years, it feels like 57 years of practice because the level of intensity of the last 15 years of technology and my involvement with it, I'm only going to work with a software company that makes it easy for my customer to use that app and collaborate with me. Otherwise, I'm probably gonna ignore it altogether. Next question to ask is, is your tech company support available your critical busy periods? So like my tech software that I was using a couple of years ago had a 35 minute wait when I had a problem with something with tech software in April. And then when I tell them, hey dude, I can't wait 35 minutes to get you support on this, you know what they said? They said, it's busy season. I'm like, I, I, you don't understand the, the role of an app that prepares tax returns for accountants if you're not able to serve them during our busy season. I get it ends up being 
busy for you too, but you have to have that infrastructure set up. Is there a direct contact or an account manager assigned to you so you can address non-sales issues? I hate when software companies, they say, oh, we have a rep assigned to you, but all the rep can do is sell me more services. What's the point? Okay. I want the rep to solve the problems, to escalate technical support issues. Next question is, does a tech company have a revenue sharing or affiliate program? Sometimes we want to partner with them and deliver the solution to our clients. And maybe we want to work for free, quote unquote, helping our clients implement it because we get paid on the back end. So we take away the consternation where the client has to pay us consulting work to make the app work because we're getting paid on the back from the app company. Does the tech company have a clear pricing structure? I hate when there's no pricing on their pages where it says, do a free trial, we'll call you and we'll talk about pricing. I hate that. It just, it just makes me cringe you know, as a, as, a, as a buyer of technology. The other one that's interesting to ask is, who pays for this tech? Is it you or your client? Is it a different price if you pay for it versus your client? Does their tech company have a good track record? Like you don't want a brand new tech company that looks really shiny, but then two years from now they go under, all your data, all your database, all your reports, whatever, are gone. So that would be catastrophic. Does the tech company have a big list of power users that you can contact or hire for advisory work? I oh look, you're gonna implement a new tech Monday, HubDoc. I mean, HubSpot, whatever. If there's a person you trust that's good at it, spend the money and get that person to give you the information that the tech company will never give you. They're going to give you the inside scoop, the gotchas, the, hey, make sure you do this before you move forward. So that's the end of the content. Now I'm going to give you a couple of first steps so you can build a focus firm around this concept of technology. First step, I would say, is list 10 apps that you're currently using in your business, the most or the most common apps that you're using. Second step, find redundancy. Is there an opportunity to at least get rid of one? And, and, and really what I want is for you to be logging in to one less place to do something. So dig deep into each of the apps. You know, like let's say you're using ClickUp and since ClickUp does everything, you know, then you can start getting rid of some other apps, right? Maybe you pay a little more to the app that does everything like the Microsoft Teams or the ClickUps or, or the Mondays or the Airtables that start taking over a lot of things, you know, can you start getting rid of some apps? Because 10 years ago, it was hot to get apps. Now I would say it's hot to get rid mm -hmm. of apps. It, 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 and as I'm getting older and my voice is starting to uh, give up on me, I realized that even though I have a lot to say and I love talking, what I need to do is I need to get rid of words. I also need to figure out how to say more with less. Okay, which on this episode was not applied, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> um, and last one is, if you have a horizontal or vertical niche, create a spreadsheet with the top five apps for that niche. Spend the time comparing feature by feature. Call experts, call app companies, collaborate, and eventually make that chart available to your prospects or customers. That way, you're giving them value upfront because when customers are shopping around for project management app, construction management app, 
uh, non-profit management app, uh, inventory app, whatever. The bullet points in the website of the app maker that says it does this, it does that, they're typically more BS than anything else. So like if you vet the app and you literally compare what quote invoicing means across five apps, then you give the customer insight that's invaluable. And as you niche and, 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 and uh, position yourself as an expert in a particular industry, this is a huge credibility builder, huge. And the last one is next time is time to purchase a big piece of software or big piece of so hardware. Look into the possibility of avoiding big one-time purchases and look for affordable productized web platforms, subscriptions that have zero barrier of entry that is also very easy to get out of if you don't like it. Because big upfront costs basically overcommit you to a technology and because you have this sunk cost that you can't shake off, then you end up overusing it for longer than you were supposed to. And you don't pay it fast enough. So that's the benefit. I know I hate paying monthly fees, but the benefit is with these subscriptions, you can hop in and hop out with ease. So those will be my next steps for you to build a focus firm around technology. Hector, thanks so much for this huge dive into all the tech. I feel like somebody who is just starting their practice has so much to know now. Uh, so we'll leave it there for this episode of The Focus Firm. Session four next week is going to be on sales process and onboarding. You'll learn to create a disciplined, consistent process to win and onboard customers. If you'd like to join us live for that, be sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel. Go to YouTube and search for Earmark CPE. You'll get notified and do join our email list. The link is in the show notes. Hector, and to our live listeners, thank you so much. Uh, I'll see you here next week. Thank you, Blake, and thank you, Avalara.